Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... That's Matt Lavery. Matt Lavery. Hello, Ian. Hello, listener. Hi, Matt. No, Let me get you, this wheel gave... spinning. <laughs> get the wheel spinning. Because <laughs> I want to talk we... to you about your headwear. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> we... <laughs> we logged on. It's Matt and I, listener, are doing this on video link. And we logged on and uh, I've got my headphones on over the top of my uh, baseball cap, which I'm wearing back to front now. Back to front. I'm not a baseball cap kind of guy, it's fair you're to definitely, say. You're not a back to front baseball cap kind of guy, mate. <laughs> no, that looks awful. No. <laughs> that looks it was awful. E- it was either <laughs> this or dreadlocks. Look, mate. The uh, the wheels stopped, and uh, I'm the wheels stopped out of shock. I yeah. think. a man approaching his forties wearing back to front baseball cap. <laughs> uh, to the privacy of your own home. <laughs> What's the topic? Money talks is the yes. And I'm going to take this one on because I've been wanting to tell this story for quite a while. Um, it's the story of the England cricket team and Alan Stanford. Um, a crook and uh, a con man, a thief, and uh, the England cricket team, the England cricket board selling out the soul of English cricket. It's quite a ter- quite quite a scurrilous tale, really. Quite uh, money really does talk in this tale. Money is cash is king, as they say, and it, it, it's never been truer than in, than in this tale. So we've got Alan Stanford, who's sort of considered one of the richest men in the United States, right? He's got an estimated net worth, personal net worth, of over two billion US dollars. And he runs uh, a bank, but it's an unusual one because he's got no prior experience in banking. Um, He's grown up in rural Texas and he sort of suddenly just got this business worth billions. And it's kind of interesting how he's done it, okay? And what he decides is, he doesn't really like the scrutiny and the taxes and everything over in in the US. So he goes over to Antigua and Barbuda. He he runs his businesses from there. And um, it's it's, it's really interesting because he is like celebrated in Antigua. He ends up being given a knighthood um, because of services to the island. So he, you know, because of this multi-billion business that he's brought there he's hiring local people he's getting the economy going and he has all of these grand ideas but he he sort of he's a he's a man of action as well you know he he builds a stadium a cricket stadium he's building all of these uh sort of properties around the place he he invests money into the airport to make it easier for his clients to fly in and out um there's investment going into the roads so antigua's benefiting from his investments and his presence, I guess, on the island. So, are you, is this story going to end up after that build-up? Are you going to say, and then he got selected for the England cricket team? He did. He did. No, no, no. Almost, <laughs> he was top, top spin bowler. <laughs> well, well, look, it, there's there's sort of a bit of background here. So, at the time, back like we're going back to sort of 2008, and the West Indies are the 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 Caribbean cricket team, you know, people are selected from various different islands. Um, so the West Indies is the national side. Um, and they've been in decline for, for quite a quite a while. They're sort of not the, the you know, the, there have been periods where they would be the, seen as the best team in the world. But 
for quite a long time they they'd sort of been relegated from that that lofty status which you know nowadays would be or well, so back then in 2008 it would be like you know maybe south africa maybe maybe australia but more sort of england so more england australia than sort of south africa or india but certainly the west indies would be would be even further down uh, the ladder and alan stanford sort of recognizes that and he sees you know but, but the people the fans love cricket over there so he sort of sees an opportunity there between the passion of the fans and sort of the lack of success maybe on the field and i suppose a bit of a lack of infrastructure as well yeah. maybe on the islands and yeah mate but it's quite unusual isn't it for uh, you know an american you know i'm sure there's uh, quite a handful of american citizens who are passionate cricket fans but there is only a handful isn't it is this guy just he, he's not presumably oh. he's not a, a a legacy cricket fan or no, is he come to the all. island think... and he's kind of learned about the game learned how passionate people are and thought well there's an opportunity here so so from what we can see he learned about cricket and fell in love with cricket whilst living in antigua um the thing is, because, you know, as this story unfolds, we're going to find out he's such a bad guy and such a crook. Um, it's easy to sort of just assume that everything, you sort of see everything through that prism and everything's corrupt in, with him. Um, but it's but maybe he does really like cricket or maybe he just saw it as an opportunity to sort of leverage his own uh, gains. It, it's hard to really know into the heart of a man, but certainly he didn't really know about cricket growing up in rural Texas. That wasn't a thing. It was more when he got to to Antigua, he sort of started to enjoy it. And and you know they do have passionate crowds. That's sort of I think fairly well well known. Um, you know the atmospheres are always good over there, and you know people people like this like the sport. They love the sport. It, it means a lot to them. So yeah, I'm not sure if it was. How, how sincere his intentions were but there's a feeling that he likes he likes his cricket the other thing to be aware of at this period of time okay it's 2008 there's historically cricket has been played in two main formats on the international stage you've got your one day games and you've got your five up to five day games the test games and the test games were always sort of seen as the pinnacle the one day games were sort of seen as a bit more fun um you know shorter format but there's this new emergence in the early 2000s of a, a new game or a new version of the sport called T20 or 2020, where instead of the game lasting five days or all day, the game would last about three hours now. And this has been sort of most successful in the Indian Premier League. So over in India and the Indians are loving it. There's huge um, contracts to be won. The players are earning really lucrative money because the and, and, and this this. Uh, league, the Indian Premier League, the IPL, is being broadcast around the world. There's all these franchise teams being set up. Um, there's it's it's there's sort of a bit of an American sport almost. There's a draft at the start of the season where every player goes up for for auction, and the, the, and that that's that's broadcast around the world where the best players are getting bought. Um, and these teams are sort of you know each each franchise each team within the IPL is just creating this mega team a sort of you know all-star world 11 who then goes out and competes so it's it's really um and it's just throwaway you know it's not about like building a legacy or you know these players turn up um they they get the contracts lucrative contracts they they play a few games and and sort of that's it 
it's it's uh, kind of like pure entertainment isn't it it's 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 like a you're basically a mercenary aren't you if you just go and play for one team and but i think also to put it into context uh it changed it kind of was seen by some as quite a threat to the traditional game because even like things like just wearing a, a a uniform with colours on as opposed to the tradi- traditional cricket whites and like having names and numbers on the back of shirts and things like that was seen as quite anti-traditional cricket. Definitely. But like they had like fireworks going off and stuff. It's still going on today, isn't it? Where the bales oh, yeah, light up and, and it's, 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 it is it's, quite exciting. There's now, not the Indian Premier League, they've got one, you've got, they've got pretty much leagues like that uh, set up all around the world now so they can play. You know, full time, you can have a career doing that, moving from one league to a, to another. You know, uh, sort of across the summers. Uh, you know, southern hemisphere, northern hemisphere, move to India, whatever. Um, yeah, it's 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 hugely popular, but and now it's it's sort of normalised that T Twenty games are are regular. But you, you know, England didn't play their first T Twenty match until two thousand and five. This is only two thousand and eight. The IPL is new. The format is new, and as you say. It is a threat to the sort of traditional version of cricket because, yeah, you know, kids are more interested in a game that lasts three hours than five days. They're more interested in wearing a snazzy coloured kit than just cricket white. So this this is a, a threat, but it's a, the biggest threat isn't just coming from the audience's interest. Um, and it's it's really also coming from the players and what are they what are their motivations? Because the English cricket board initially were very reluctant to let their players play in the IPL because of uh, fixture congestion. You know, if, if their players are playing for these teams in, in India as mercenaries, earning huge, you know, multi-million dollar contracts, well, that means they're not playing for England in the test games and they're not playing for England in the one-day games throughout the summer. So there was a clash of schedules and initially the ECB doesn't want their players to go. However... How do you keep a player motivated financially? How do you restrict them from going to to apply their trade elsewhere? So the ECB is in this difficult scenario because financially it doesn't really know what to do, and it's it's an old um, institution, you know, with with older people at the helm, uh, and, and and it's sort of been caught off guard a little bit by this new fresh upstart. So. It's working itself out. And then all of a sudden, this guy, Alan Stanford, comes across um, with an idea. He's going to get the England team to play in a one-off match against the West Indies at his cricket ground. The West Indies are going to be called the Stanford Superstars. It's going to be winner takes all. And there's going to be 20 million US dollars up for stake. So, all of a sudden... The, English, the ECB, the England Cricket Board, can say to their players, oh, well, we've got you a chance here. You're all going to win a million. All you have to do is take part in one game and, and win. So there's sort of a massive financial inducement for the players. The ECB sort of can feel a bit more controlling there. But also, Stanford's also putting up $7 million to be split between the ECB and the West Indian Cricket Board as well. So there's a financial inducement to the boards. And also, there's a huge cash prize to the winning team that kind of just makes kind of sense to me there's nothing that really stands out in that idea as like being you know a a, a bad concept i mean even the prize money yeah it, it seems like quite a lot but when you talk about maybe selling 
the rights to that game, which would be quite, you know, a draw card for a lot of people in a lot of countries with a big audience, you know, India, a billion people, even Australian TV channels and across the West Indies. Um, uh, Not, you know, to say in, in, in the UK as well, that that actually seems not too bad a, a kind of suggestion for the is that am i right in saying that or is is this going to be revealed a bit later or what what's no i mean look the, the, the i guess in terms of the money involved it, it it is a big deal because uh you know 20 million for for any cricketer at this time would have been well it wouldn't be 20 million per player but you know and it's us dollars but each player they reckon is going to going to take home about one and a half million if you win, if you lose, you go home with absolutely nothing. Now, that that would be a significant amount of money anywhere in in cricket. You know, for for one game, players might be getting paid up to a million, but that would be for a season or something. You know, to do that in in three hours work is yeah, totally unheard of. Um, and and I guess that's what Stanford was thinking that he could he would offset all of this. Not just in terms of the the broadcast rights, you know, it was it was broadcast around the world. It was uh, the the games were played out on Sky in the UK. Um, they were broadcast in the West Indies, but also and, and other countries as well. But also, what he's thinking really is the West Indies team is called the Stanford Superstars. It's in the Stanford ground. There's you know m- uh, marketing all over the place, and you've got to think two thousand and eight. It's the, it's the financial crash. You know, we've had this global turndown and his bank is going around saying, I'm wealthy enough and I'm powerful enough to be offering 20 million up as a cash prize. You should stick your money with me because I'm a really, really successful businessman and, and financier. Well, that's that's obviously what it, you know, this whole thing is, it's, it's, it's marketing, it's a gimmick to to make money elsewhere rather than you know he talked about this being a legacy and the the future of west indies cricket and how he could turn this into a commercially viable enterprise but i mean how how sincere any of that is i'd say it probably doesn't really make sense but nobody nobody none of the grown-ups you know none at the ecb were interested and that's sort of what this story is really about i think for me look Stanford's a crook, uh, but really it's about how easily this crook was able to gain so much influence with the ECB just by dangling this this huge financial carrot, and it's it's so crass. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, it's this this story already really is intriguing because, like so many of the good crimes, it's in plain sight, isn't it? It's kind of like. This presumably this guy's worked in finance and and maybe you know in the world of finance as we we know anecdotally that there's a you know a lot of um, trading and things that happens which is behind closed doors or you know insider trading etc. But this is kind of in the full light of day, isn't it? This is like a, a high profile internationally broadcast thing. But how does it kind of play out in terms of? Like, how is this stuffy organisation, the English Cricket Board, like, who surely would be suspicious of this new game and, and probably, you know, they're, they're people of cucumber sandwiches and afternoon tea and bad light uh, and, and probably bad toupees and things. 
how do they get duped by this concept? It's that famous Mrs. Merton joke, isn't it? What what was it about the billionaire Alan Stanford that first attracted you? <laughs> you know? so I wonder. I absolutely wonder. You know, he, to put it this way, you know, Lords, as you say, is so stuffy. It's so difficult. Like Nasser Hussein's been, who's who's a former England uh, national team captain, says he finds it difficult to get around Lords sometimes because even though he's represented England as the captain multiple times and, and you know, well-respected, famous cricketer, people, the, the security is so difficult with him, he can't walk around freely. Lords is very much steeped in history and tradition, and yet the ECB let Alan Stanford fly his helicopter in and land on the pitch um, to announce this deal. So, like... You know, immediately people's backs are up. The players are like, how on earth can this be happening? How, why would you let a guy, just because he's rich, land his helicopter on, on this hallowed turf? You know, the the way this thing is, is announced to the press, they actually have a crate containing $20 million US in cash. And they like pull this curtain off it. And it's like they're all just sort of you know, almost drooling over the money, you know, just, it's so, it's so gross. Like, they're so, it's so desperate. But you can see that basically the the threat of the the IPL and sort of feeling uh, like control, they're losing control, this stuffy ECB, you know, this guy is giving them an opportunity for them to, to maintain some control because all they have to do is, is play this one-off game and then, you know, that's going to sort of smooth everything over so they can run the show for the rest of the year. Um, and, and because it, it's, it sounds too good to be true, but they just thought, oh, we, maybe they weren't thinking properly. You know, they were sort of a bit of cognitive dissonance, just, yeah, let's just allow this to happen because what else can we do? Um, but, but the press, you know, the press, especially the British press, was still very sceptical about this, you know, from the start. You know, it, as people were pointing out, there's no real proper sporting comp- competition. There's no sporting context. Um, you know, in in the warm up games, it's not even country versus country or club versus club. It is literally just like this mad hybrid where, you know, Middlesex are playing against England like in warm up games and stuff. And you know, well, this just doesn't really, it just doesn't really mean anything, does it? It's just a bit stupid and it's all about his ego and that that sort of became more and more clear as as this sort of I mean it wasn't really a tournament as such there was a few warm-up games and then the 20 million match but in one of the games the warm-up match in fact it was against Middlesex that I mentioned England are playing and you know there's these big screens up around the place well in the lead-up matches Stanford's barged in and out of the change rooms a few times. Like he's making these like sort of stagey walk arounds on the boundary line with cameramen following him. So his his face is getting beamed up on these big uh, screens around the ground. And uh, at one point during play, uh, the England players are all out on the pitch. Um, yeah, that he's suddenly up on the screen goes uh, footage of him, and he's with three of the England players' wives and girlfriends. Um, and he's got one of them, Matt Pryor's wife, who's pregnant on his knee, and he's like bouncing with her, he's flirting, and the players are just watching, like mortified, while this billionaire basically like does this this big big dick power play, like you know I'm 
you know, sort of a, a real, uh, let me show you who's boss. Let me show you, like, I own you, basically, and I own your wives, and I, I it, it's just so vile. The players are just, like, mortified. Like, they're obviously so angry. Um, Stanford ends up apologising to, to Pryor and to Peterson and sort of says he, he didn't realise, but, but he did. You know, he knew exactly what he was doing, and it's just so gross you know like it's really... so horrible that you describe that really well and i'm and i'm sad about that <laughs> <laughs> because i can just picture that horrible like what who is he is he like in his what in his 50s in his 60s yeah, what kind 50s, of something like that yeah yeah oh, honestly, it's I... awful. and you feel for the for the for the women as well because like you know they they're like smiling and like but it's so awkward it's like cringe smiling and like laughing, but not really finding it that funny. And they don't, you know, he's their host at the end of the day. So they don't want to cause a scene or cause a fuss when he's sort of like leching over them. So it's just this polite sort of like, oh yeah, okay. Anyway, the players are furious and, uh, you know, they're sort of, but they're just like, let's just get through this. Let's just get through this one game and then just go home. But like, it's a horrible atmosphere for the for the England players. Um, also, there's, you know, it's all in his ground, but the f- the facilities aren't great. The floodlights are really problematic because they're played at night, these games, and the floodlights only go so high. So when the ball goes right up in the air, if you can imagine, it disappears out of the floodlights and then and then reappears. You know, so it disappears into the night sky because the lights aren't great. So there's loads of dropped catches. It's quite dangerous, that as well, is it? <laughs> like, you don't want to lose sight of a cricket ball when it's travelling velocity. But my, what you said at the start there when I was asking about who who is he, I can't help draw comparisons with another billionaire who made his money mysteriously in finance and moved to an island. You're getting the Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> like oh. vibes, you know, like he there's a lot of parallels there, like um very odd, very odd. Oh, um, it's well, well. I mean, they they both end up in prison. Like Stanford ends up the following year, he's charged with fraud. Um, obviously, England cricket several links with him. But um, what's he actually? What's the actual crime he's committed oh, yeah, here? So he's so it's it's a Ponzi scheme. So he's he's in money laundering. So it's it's all fraud basically. But he ends up um, yeah defrauding like they reckon about seven point two billion US. Uh, over eight, 18,000 victims. Um, and yeah, he ends up serving a 110-year prison sentence. So From he, this one cricket game? No, 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 no. This is his oh, career. Okay. This is his, this oh, is okay. his career. <laughs> this is his career as a crook. The cricket game, in terms of, in terms of the, uh, the crime now, as I say, it wasn't really a crime. The crime was... Really, the ECB just just allowing this guy in and allowing this this billionaire to have so much influence because it, it, look, at the time he wasn't he wasn't a convicted criminal although he was being investigated. The ECB wouldn't have known that obviously, um, but nevertheless, you know, to just to just sort of allow this this guy to have his ego project and to send these players off for basically a game with no sporting integrity, just for the money. And, and and obviously it affects the whole thing. I mean, normally before games, one of the players, Stuart Broad, talked about it. Before a game starts, you're normally talking about the game. In this one, obviously 
they they suddenly had to work out well there's 20 of us in the squad and only 11 of us are going to play so what are we doing with our what are we doing here with the if we win it so they're like cutting deals and stuff and working out the finances before the game it was all about the money there's nothing about the sport in the end it was it was immaterial because uh the stanford superstars or the west indies um, crushed England by they got a ten wicket win. It was an absolute uh, decimation. <laughs> wow! So, so uh, England England got thrashed and uh, and they all went home. You know, truly the players went home truly miserable. Uh, and and that was sort of it. The West the West Indian players all got their their, their millions um, and you know spent them all or <laughs> did what they wanted to do with them. Uh, you know, fair play. And 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 as I say, so the crime isn't this match really. The crime is is outside of it, but it's just such an an unusual event where this guy who really has no place in sport just gains huge, unparalleled access, just just purely by by throwing some money around. You know, to the to, as I say, he's he's going in and out of the the players dressing rooms he's bothering their wives you know landing his helicopter on the pitch it's it's all just totally vile really um but yeah as i say he's in prison now so sort of uh, for 110 years all of his assets have, have were stripped um you know he ended up having to be uh, served by a court appointed lawyer because he, he had nothing um so, wow! Yeah, and 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 obviously the uh, the contract was voided after that, so England don't have to play in this ridiculous tournament anymore. So you said at the start that he was one of the richest people in America. He had two billion dollars. I mean, at what point did, did he not go? Uh, I'll just stop there. Quit while I'm ahead. Mm. You know, like he could have just lived it? one of the most luxurious lives in the world. Taylor's oldest time, though, mate. They never do, do they? They always want to get a bit more. I would have loved to have seen him get sentenced as well. 110 years not out. It's quite the thing um, on a sticky wicket. But, man, that is very fine story, Matt. Oh, thank you very much. It's so much to unpick in that story. I think I could actually, I'll go back and listen to it again because it's so <laughs> fascinating. But uh, thanks so much for listening to The Wheel of Sport, the home of the greatest sports stories ever told. Please get in touch with us, The Wheel of Sport, at gmail.com. Follow us on our very uh, unused platforms of Instagram at The Wheel of Sport or Twitter at The Wheel of Sport as well. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Do us a favour as well before you go. Just uh, send your favourite episode to a mate who hasn't listened to the podcast before. Just your favourite one, the one that you enjoyed the most. That would be much appreciated because uh, that's how the podcast grows. Word of mouth. We're closing in, Matt, on 100 episodes. We can't be that far away. Oh. So, so much, many, many stories in that back catalogue. And they're all about 30 minutes, which is perfect for your commute. Presuming your commute's 25 minutes. Presumably. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could, could work downstairs or next door, who knows anyway, thanks Matt, great story thank you I'm off to learn how to wear a cap the right way see you later <laughs> <laughs>